0: It's Thursday, but it's a very, very special Thursday. It's our first year podcast birthday. Can you believe it? Can you believe that we've been churning out an episode a week for a year? So this time a year ago, we went to Nottingham and we sat down with Vicky McClure and that was our first episode. And I suppose over the past week, I've been really thinking um, about our first year and conversation the art of conversation and talking and like i was thinking back about me I might waffle on for a bit here but just bear with um like as a kid i was talking at school i was talking my way out of fights which you know worked about 80% of the time to the teachers i was answering back i was a bit gobby you know i was giving them answers not necessarily the answers maybe that they wanted you know i talked my way into a drama course after school because I didn't have the grades for it. And now, you know, I've had a career where I've been talking, albeit talking other people's words. But starting this podcast and this first year, I I can't really begin to put it into words what it's done um, and what it means. It's been quite overwhelming. Um, I'm really, really honoured and really proud of of what we've done and the guests that we've had on. I mean, I, look, I'm not I'm joking when I say this. I've loved every single person that's come on, loved every episode because we just get into it and we have a great conversation. And each one of those episodes really, really sort of means something and sort of means something to somebody else because the messages that we've had in, from from you the listener it's incredible that, that one person says something and it it can mean nothing to one person but mean everything to somebody else and that's it the art of conversation i mean are we talking enough or are we having conversations that that people aren't listening to i don't know i mean i don't know. i don't want to leave a voice message on your phone if i can help it i don't want humor or sympathy to be lost on a, on a text message. Um, So to learn (laughs) what I'm saying, I suppose what I've been learning for the past year is um, conversation with other people and and getting into it and spending as long or or as little as it needs. um, To sometimes go really deep and go to places that you wouldn't have, Uh, a normal conversation with somebody uh, in a cafe or over the pub. Why? I mean, do we not have time for this anymore? I don't know. I don't know. What I'm trying to say is this year has been incredible. Um, I'm really proud of of my career and and my job, and I love love what I do for a living, but I I really, I really, really love this. This has taken me somewhere... totally different that I never really expected because I didn't really have um, any hopes for it. I just knew that I wanted to start it and and see what would happen and where it would go. And it's grown, it's morphed into something. I'm sure if you go back and listen to episode one, I'm kind of all over the place. I remember I was having notes on Vicky's table. I don't do that anymore. I, I do a little bit of research about the person and then you know i'm as much in the dark as, as you are the listener will just see where it goes and that is really exciting to me um so i want to thank all the guests that have been on in this past year um some of them have been friends some of them i've known some of them i've never even met before but even the friends that i've had on who I thought I'd known for quite a long time. We were having conversations that we've never had before and I've discovered things about those friends that I never knew and that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this podcast. Um, So it really means a lot. And then, you know, to get the the podcast award this year, um, to be recognised, I mean, just to be nominated was incredible. And then to be on lists of best podcasts and all that i mean it's knocked us for six it really has um so i really want to thank you the listener for getting behind it and enjoying it and uh and listening it, you know we'll, we'll talk and, and you listen now speaking of talking i'm so sorry i went on a right waffle that i suppose i wanted to try and get across to you what it means uh to me doing this podcast so uh, i I hope I was eloquent. I probably wasn't, was I? Anyway, never mind. This is our birthday episode day, and we are popping out. Popping out? What does that mean? Two episodes. So our first episode, episode 50, is with the fantastic Charlie Cooper. You'll know him as one of the half, the writer and stars of BBC's This Country. Speaking of awards, bloody hell, they have been winning everything left, right and centre. And we were lucky enough this year to be invited down to Bath festivals. And we got Charlie to come to Bath because he lives not far from me in Gloucestershire. So he came to meet us with a packed house, uh, the lovely Waterstones in Bath. It was brilliant, a great crowd. And I'd never met Charlie before, so it was the first time that we'd met. It was one of those. So when you're doing that in front of an audience, I mean, I was a bit nervous because I thought, well where's this going to go, and it was only our fourth live episode, I think, so we're still finding our feet with that, but I tell you what, it couldn't have gone any better, and I've laughed a lot, Um, I've cried a lot in a few of these episodes, but honestly, I don't think I've laughed as much as this, Um, as you're here and the audience, you are brilliant, thanks so much for coming out. Um, It wasn't particularly nice night, was it? Because it was chucking it down, if I remember rightly. Not like now in the UK. It's beautiful. Look, I've waffled on. I'm so sorry. This is episode 50, the Two Shot Podcast. First birthday episode with the fantastic Mr. Charlie Cooper. Enjoy, and I'll see you at the end.
1: Hello. Wow. Well, that's, a, that's a lot of people. Thank you for coming, and um, I apologise on behalf of my sister, but luckily I'm funnier, more interesting than her, so... Um, I, I was
0: going to add that, but I thought he'd let himself. say it. I'm not, but it's too late for refunds, is so, Yeah, there's no refunds. Um, we've been trying to get this together for ages, haven't we, Charlie? Fucking ages, yeah. And um, when I first spoke to Charlie, they just started filming the second series, and... Uh, It was very hard to get together. And then lovely people at Bath Festival asked uh, myself and producer Griff, who is skulking in the corner there with a pair of headphones on, to come over here. So it seemed like the perfect time uh, to get Charlie on. Um, Of course, we are going to talk about this country, but I think we really need to talk about... And what everybody probably wants to hear is uh, your time as a male model. (laughs) No, don't, 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 don't.
1: Right, sorry, can I just... No, I won't go. Uh, do we have to? Um, we have to start a bit about it. We, yeah, okay. Um, I did it, it was never full-time. So it was a very a part-time thing. A part-time male model. <laughs>
0: <laughs> how did you get picked? <laughs> oh, come on. No, sorry. Oh, he's embarrassed, I come on. Embarrassed. Um, how did how... you, did you get scouted?
1: <clears throat> yeah, on the street. And then um, I, I, thought, I thought it was a scam to begin with. And then um, my girlfriend at the time sort of was like, no, you, you know, you've got to pursue it. I was like, fine. So I did. And uh, the first shoot I did was with David Sims, who's quite a well-known. He does like Runa Hom. Right. He's done loads of like, big people. And so I sort of turned up on my first, <clears throat> first shoot, absolutely terrified. And, um, like a huge team of people. It's like something out of a, you know, Hollywood film, like at Andy Warhol's factory, something like that. And, um, and it went all right. I mean, you don't have to do much. You just stand there. You're like a clothes hanger. <laughs> <laughs> and no one talks to you. You just sort of throw clothes on you. And then, uh. Did they talk at you? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fine. I'm happy with that. <laughs> and then, um, and then, yeah, it's when I got an agent and then did a few more other jobs. But, um. The problem is with the internet, you can't, it's still, when people Google my name, it's all it comes up, like, topless
0: shots of me. I I didn't see any of those in my research. Oh, really? Oh, good. (laughs) Maybe they've been taken down. We can all do that after, everybody. um, Let's go back to school in Siren. Yeah. How how was growing up there?
1: Um,
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean, I still live there now. Um,
1: 28, I should, you know, fly the nest, but it's, no, it was so, um, I mean, it was so safe. Like, we went to really sweet sort of uh, twee primary school, me and Daisy. She was three years above me. And, um, yeah, it was just sort of, everyone was sort of wrapped up in cotton wool, really. Sort of, uh, nothing really bad. It's like a, something out of a Beatrix Potter book. But, um, but Siren Sister itself, yeah, it's sort of, um, it's an interesting place. But you don't realise until you leave. Yeah. And we sort of discovered that.
0: Did you feel the need, because sometimes in those small places, uh, they feel the need that when they hit a certain age, you've just got to break free and get to the, the city.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I spent, Daisy especially, she really, I mean, she was going out to the clubs when she was like 13. She was a bit of a wild child. <laughs> while I was sort of uh, What, the stayed... club, clubs in Siren? Yeah, there's one. I say clubs. <laughs> <it's a> club. <laughs> <clears throat> and then, um, but I was sort of, you know, playing football manager in my room. Like a weirdo, but um, <laughs> what was the question? I've forgotten the question.
0: <laughs> just about growing up in growing science. Growing up in sorry, science, I'm Still it's, laughing. Nice. No, yeah, I mean, it's nice, but it's, it's not the real world, really. I suppose it's about breaking free. Did you get to a point, uh, an age, where you just went, "No, I've had enough. I've fallen out of love with oh, the, 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 the the cotton wool. I'm I'm closed in. I want to break free."
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, as soon as we it's like college time, you sort of. Going out a bit more and, you know, you want to meet new people and you get into drinking and stuff like that and you realise Siren's fucking shit. <laughs> and then, yeah, I spent so many years wanting to move to London. All my friends did. But obviously, you know, doing... I went to university and we'll talk about that later. Dropped out and then had no money so I couldn't go anywhere. So I was stuck at home in sort of, you know, important years of my life. I wish I was anywhere else. And then um, had to see all my friends sort of go and get jobs in London. And I'm still the only one who lives in Siren. But it got to, since doing the show, it was quite cathartic in a way because it was, it got everything off my chest about what I hated about living, you know, in the Cops Worlds yeah. in Sister. And then um, as soon as I did that, I suddenly was like, ah, it's, it's quite nice. I quite enjoy it. And, um, and now we're busy. It's going back there, going back home after being in London for a week or whatever. It's so nice. And we both really appreciate it now.
0: You do get to an age where you really appreciate where you live.
1: Oh, totally. And, yeah, maybe it does mean my life's over
0: a little bit. Because <laughs> I know my sons he's only six at the moment, and he's being raised in a, a small... Gloucestershire town and I know that he's, when he hits 14 he's going to absolutely hate it and just want to leg it
1: well the best thing that everyone, used to say, everyone used to say at school oh it's a fucking shithole Sirencester and you look around it's the most beautiful Cotswold stone <laughs> like, <laughs> parish church it is one of the nicest places to live but really boring if you're young um, and you do have to find your own entertainment but that was basically what this
0: country was about so yeah, how was school for you? Did they, she was three years above you? Did she look after you at school? Did you have a good no, relationship then? She did not no. look after me, <laughs>
1: asshole. Um, no, I mean, we've always got on, but, but school we weren't particularly close. Um, I, I, I I I didn't particularly enjoy school. I mean, I was very sort of uninspired, especially going to secondary school. It was very different. Primary school was really. We both really enjoyed it. It was quite creative, and they really encouraged you. And as soon as you got to secondary school, it just sort of got lost, and it all became about you know exams and grades.
0: Were you not very academic?
1: No, not I wasn't badly behaved. I just wasn't. I just never listened. I just I'm not academic at all. Um, And so I did. I didn't struggle particularly. I was such a you know middle of the road. Didn't excel in anything didn't do badly in particularly anything. Because um, those children, the middle of the road, can just get lost. Yeah, and I've sort of, I, I did in a way because I sort of came out of school not knowing, you know, what I wanted to do, not being passionate about anything other than football, but I did that outside of school. So, yeah, and Daisy always had drama. I, it was when she um, soon, like, when she was a kid, she that's the one thing she wanted to do. So... She always had doing that at school and at college. So she sort of had an outlet, really. But no, it's different for me. Um, but yeah. Did acting never come up for you at school? No, was it no, not something? I hated you- it. I was so embarrassed. You know, the idea of doing anything like that at the time would have been mortifying. Um, I remember doing, we did something at drama in like year 10 or year nine or something. And it was like where you're in the room and you do, get in groups and you do like little role plays. I remember doing one. And I can't remember what the, what the idea was, but I was pretending to be um, a big issue seller. And because I thought it was just beautiful, sort of really edgy. <laughs> and I did it. And then I, all I remember is a teacher telling me to get out. It's like, get out. It's, like, it's so offensive, blah, blah, blah. And I think from that moment on, I was like, oh God, this is, I'm, I can't ever do anything like this again. You know, when you're trying to sort of be, you know, you think you're being, it's not in a bad way, you think you're being clever and, Yeah, that was... I still stuck with me, actually. That's quite sad.
0: He killed that creative art. He did. didn't he? Fucking bastard. (laughs) So, end of secondary school. Still no idea what you wanted to do, what you wanted to be? No. I I went to... um, uh, We had a college right next to our school.
1: So, when it came to choosing subjects, um, I saw that you could do a BTEC in sports science. And I thought, okay, well, I like football. So... You know, I still had a very sort of like, you know, I didn't know whether... I mean, dad, my dad was always sort of coaching football. He used to coach us. I thought, okay, maybe possibly could be a football coach or something to do with football. So anyway, so went to college. where you know, my friends were doing sort of proper, like, you know, biology and maths and shit like that. And then um had two years at college. And I enjoyed it, but our teacher at the time was just... Uh, he He was useless, so he's, he, when you, had, you used to give him homework he' just sort of give everything a top grade, right. which is good in a way, but it meant you'd never learn anything <laughs> so I came out of college with really good grades when i didn 't deserve them which meant when it came to choosing university, I managed to get into quite i went to yet Exeter, so it was quite a good university, but I was way out of my depth as soon as I got there, and I did sports science uh, at exeter and uh I just, after like three lectures, I realised um, I don't know anything. <laughs> Everyone else knew so much. So, which is, yeah, it's these little things, you know, great like that happens that can completely alter the course you're on. So, yeah, 18 at college, still had no uh, intention on doing anything, sort of performing or writing. I was doing sports science and then um, realised after a few weeks I fucking hated it but didn't drop out until after two years, which was just disaster. A long time. Yeah, a really long time. I'm still paying it off now with that. <laughs> um, and uh, what was I going to say? And then, yeah, two years. But the only reason why I stayed on was because... I, actually, I sort of got into music and stuff while I was at uni and realised... It doesn't. Sometimes in life, you realise what you want to do. You only realise what you want to do until you do something you don't want to do. Yeah. Uh, but you have to do these things to know that. And um, I sort of got into music, and you know, didn't want to do anything. I sort of wanted to be creative. I started learning the guitar just because I had to have like a creative outlet. Yeah. Because I wasn't getting that at uni. And then um, I used to, because me and Daisy left. She went to drama school, she went to RADA, but we both left at the same time. When, we were, when I was 18, she was 21. So she was in London um, at RADA doing her drama course, and I used to be
0: so envious of her
1: because, you know...
0: I just well, be- Because she was doing the drama course? No,
1: no, not because she did drama, because she was in London, and, you know, it was exciting. And right. So the older I got, the more that's the place I wanted to be. And then, um, but she hated drama school, absolutely it was begging me to come every weekend to sort of keep a company and so I did and I sort of ended up going more and more and more and then I remember going one time and we were sat in sort of Nando's somewhere near her sort of uni digs and uh, I sort of like I basically broke down I, was like, I fucking hate uni I can't tell mum and dad because they'll be livid with uh, they were they weren't in the end but um, she was like well why the fuck are you doing it just you know just just quit yeah just don't don't go back. And I literally, I never returned. And that was, I was only going up for a weekend. And I left all my stuff in my house at uni, didn't go back to pick it up. And it was <laughs> the most liberating thing I've ever done. And I, you know, I still had loads of rent to pay on the house and stuff like that. But I just, I couldn't face it. You know, I hated the people I lived with. I hated the course. I hated Exeter as a place. It was too similar to the Cotswolds. <laughs> And and um, fair play to Daisy, she really encouraged me, even though she was having a real tough time. Mm. Um, and I'm sure she'll tell you that when you, you do the podcast with her. But um, so, I mean, that is a clean break. A clean, yeah, massively. And then I, as soon as I got to, and then I was like, right, well, I can't go back to the Cotswolds. And she basically said, well, just sleep on my floor in London because she was, she was so lonely and wanted some company. So her third year at RADA, I I slept on her floor in this sort of tiny uni digs opposite RADA and the room was just, you know, it's tiny and and yeah, I stayed there for a year and it was the best, it was the most sort of formative year of my life and it was a year that we really um, got close and our relationship really took off from there and, uh, you know, we talk about back home people we sort of found funny and stories and that was sort of the seed of this country basically
0: yeah um just before we, we go on i just want to go back yeah and of course uh, ask about your mom and dad yeah and what did they do for a living
1: that mum's um an artist a card illustrator mm. and my dad sort of had a series of really shitty jobs i mean sort of recruitment and sort of sales and stuff like that he's never enjoyed anything he um, he's done and credit to him. He was always, you have to find your passion. You have to find something you want to do. And he was always quite creative and talented at loads of things, but never could find his thing. And so, yeah, you find that frustrating. Massively. And you can say, I can look at him now. He's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. <laughs> I think You could have been someone, but he wasn't. And it's, yeah, it is sad, but, he, but again, he's, I mean, they're both so supportive And they've always said you've got to pursue what your passion and what you enjoy doing, and don't settle for anything else. So when I said I was going to quit uni after two years, I was, yeah, fine. Don't worry about it. Come back home, and you know we'll sort it out, which is amazing. Mm. And um, but they sound so
0: supportive. Oh, totally. This none of this would have ever happened without them. Why? Why do you think that you were worried (coughs) in telling them that you were going to quit uni? Oh, I think just naturally you're you know, they think you're on a path and
1: um and that you're settled. So I you know, and I didn't really talk to them much about being unhappy. So I think it was quite um a shock
0: for them, but they they weren't particularly bothered, but in a good way. <laughs> yeah, of course. Not well, a neglectful way. Just parents in they just want their children to be happy whatever they do, I suppose. I mean it sounds like a bit of a cliche, but yeah. it's it is true
1: yeah totally you know you know i'd be the same it's um and i think because from my dad's personal experience he he knows what it's like not to find that thing i think he yeah really wanted us to do the same and again with daisy growing up you know she was drama clubs and competitions and he would drive her everywhere but he's got really severe car sickness problems So the amount of times we'd be in the car with him driving to like a you know, a drama exam or a drama competition, he just <laughs> he comes out of the car, he's got vomit all down his top. But he, he really soldiered on, bless him. So, um, yeah, so supportive. And was it a happy household growing up? Yeah, really happy. Um, sort of, yeah, I mean, it was, we we're very, very close as a family. I mean, I still live with my parents at the moment, you know I'm trying to move out but it was sort of um we yeah I mean we're so, yeah so close um always you know lots of family holidays and, and my dad's so funny like always you know we all connect through um you know humor and finding the same things funny and it's great when you're working with siblings that you can recall all these sort of amazing funny things that happened on holiday and and uh, have those shared experiences that are so useful
0: sort of for the writing and stuff yeah. like that. So that's really nice. So let's jump back forward now to your yeah. year back in London. Did you have any idea during that year? Obviously, you felt freer because you weren't back doing something that you hated, which yeah. was sports science. Did you have any idea where you wanted to go or did the relationship with you and Daisy, it, obviously it blossomed and it, and it grew?
1: Yeah, I've always been envious of Daisy. I mean, she's such a free spirit and very impulsive, and, um, only, I mean, other than Rada she'll only ever do stuff she sort of wants to do, and she's always been very lucky, and, um, you know, she'd buy a scratch card, she'd fucking, she'd win a fiver, stuff like that, but she, <laughs> and anything she turned her hand to, she'd be good at, and I was always envious of that, and so I sort of, it was quite infectious sort of being, you know, with her that year, and, um, it sort of like fed into me, I guess. And I have sort of realised that I want to do something creative, not quite sure knowing what it was. I sort of, you know, I liked music, I was playing guitar, but I knew it was never going to be anything serious, but it was a start. And um, and, and for her, when she was at RADA, she, I mean, she's always loved comedy, we both have, but she hated how serious drama school was and the routine and how strict it was. And I'd go and see her, she'd be in a play, like Macbeth or something, and she, you know she'd be so funny, like people would be <laughs> laughing, but it's be meant to be totally serious because she's got such a comedy face, and naturally she'd be so good at it, and um so that was definitely her calling. And then, yeah, in that year I sp- I didn't really work. I sort of signed on for about six months, and we'd have we had no money at the time. Our parents didn't have any money, and. um we'd have about 20 quid to do the shopping every week. Was it back in Siren? No, this is, sorry, this is still in London London. that year. And I remember one week trusting Daisy to uh, do the weekly shopping. She came back with a packet of fags, a bottle of wine and um, Big by Tom Hanks on (laughs) DVD. (laughs) We didn't even have a DVD player, so I don't know, fucking, (laughs) fucking annoying. But, um, but But that situation was great because she needed me just to be there and to become, to, you know, to be there with her. And I needed that experience to be, you know, it was sort of my, you know, gap. year. I hate the word gap. year, But it's sort of my year to sort of, you know,
0: well, you had to kind of figure out yeah, what you were doing and what you, you were You don't like, realize. Girls, but... As
1: soon as you're out of education, it's like, wow, I can suddenly hear myself think like you're on this conveyor belt for so long, told what to do. And for the first time it was like wow this is this is brilliant i can hear my own. i can hear myself i can be someone yeah. you know do i want to be and anyway i sort of worked in various I, I did have a couple of jobs when i was in london one being top shop on Oxford circus which was a fucking nightmare but i quite enjoyed it but um and then after that year was up we both moved back to the cotswolds basically back with our parents was this after after the end of Rada, yeah, at the end of that year, end of that year. So we were only there for a year. Oh, well, I was there for a year, and then, um, but I had the best that year was I had the best, we had the best fucking times. We used to laugh, and you know,
0: is that why you got scouted for a model in London? That was later.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, I keep bringing it up. Yeah, well, I've
1: wiped that for my own life, but, um. <laughs> so yeah we moved back to the Cotswolds and then we moved in back with our parents and our parents lived up at, um, lived on sort of the edge of our town sorry sort of like on an estate a two up two down house and um, me and Daisy had to share a room which was horrendous well we had done that for a year but we <laughs> so <laughs> sounds so weird uh, we had to share a bed which is <laughs> in the non oh, there's no way that won't sound weird <laughs> But it was a difficult We had literally no money, and there was nothing else we could do. And um, Daisy at that time was going up for auditions, and um, she had an agent,
0: so she was having castings and stuff. So she spent the next sort of couple of years doing that. Was she travelling a lot? I don't really want to speak too much about Daisy because she's not here to talk about stuff. But was she, she travelling a lot back and to? Yeah, London?
1: yeah, but getting on the National Express and uh, to London and back, and again, it's difficult when you've got no income. Yeah, so it's sort of. Uh, so yeah, and that was, and for her that first experience of like you know being rejected and not getting called back was really really tough, and she felt that you, um, rather they don't prepare you for the practical side of acting and the casting process, and she knew nothing, and she completely frees in auditions, and
0: um, she just wasn't getting anything. Did you get? Um, obviously, you got more of an insight into the acting world through Daisy. How did that make you feel? Did that make you feel, that's definitely not what I want to do? Oh,
1: totally. Yeah, even more so. Why and would you? It's madness. Why, yeah. To- yeah. And then, um, and then I, and I just sort of got a couple of, I did some bar work back in our town, worked at Argos for about six months, um, but which was great material, by the way, which I didn't realise <laughs> that until later on. <laughs> Quite a few characters came from that. Um, <laughs> and then um and then I, we sort of started and it was actually our dad who said to daisy so you got to you know if you thought about it, doing any writing and um or doing comedy stand up comedy and daisy um she is quite lazy but if she's excited about something she'll be, she'll be you know she'll be keen but um he he pushed her into sort of doing stand-up comedy locally, just really? sort of like open mic type stuff. And it, she, in Siren? It was around, one in Cheltenham. Right. And she did it about two, three times. I never actually went to watch her, but apparently it was dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she did this sort of awful character. I think it was like an air hostess character. There was sort of this sort of, it was something like belonged in sort of Little Britain. And uh, she said she remembers seeing our mum who in the audience watching in the back of a room and she could just, she was obviously on stage and no one was laughing and there was a few sort of like oh, oh my god this is awful and uh, she could see my mum at the back and her heart was just she could see, physically see her heart just break it was just so so sad and that haunts me to this day but again a great experience and I think once you've died on your feet once in front of an audience you can um, you can do anything yeah. if you've embarrassed yourself once and um, so she did that realized it wasn't quite for her and then she had an idea about doing she had an idea for a character that she did in her final piece at RADA and it was which eventually became Kerry it was very different and um people loved it when she did it at RADA and um and it took her a while to sort of you know, after drama school, to get back in to find her mojo again. She felt like she had lost a lot of her creativity. What
0: about you at this time, though? Because you, during... I was at Argos. <laughs> <laughs> but Yeah, but no, I mean... But I... that year, that year that you had yeah. in London, and you felt much freer than what you did, and then you were moving back home. Yeah. Did you feel stifled again by moving back home or...
1: Yeah, no, I did, totally. So my plan at the time was, okay, I'll, I'll move back, earn a bit of money, and then hopefully move again. But again, still not finding my passion or what I wanted to do. Um, you can't just go fishing all the time. No, exactly. <laughs> no one's going to pay Char- me for that. Char- Charlie likes to fish. I'm not very good, but I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was, again, it's so, it was so difficult. And even at the age of tw- I was sort of 20, 21... You feel that if you don't find something soon, your life's going to be over, which is completely wrong
0: well it's absolute bullshit because yeah. there's no rush you'd get no to it. everyone at whatever is, time. is
1: on their own sort of path, but um you can't help but feel pressured about you know what your friends are doing
0: and and also yeah. that society going you need to find 100%. your outlet now or if you 're going to be creative, do this do yeah
1: that. and again, lucky that we had parents that didn't do that, yeah, and I know you know most of my friends, their parents would have you know kicked us out on our ass and gone you know get a job and then we okay. So Daisy had the idea for the character, and then she started writing a really, really rough script around this character. And, and she, at this
0: point, was it just like a, a one-woman thing, or were you? It drawn was just.
1: Into this? It, it started. Actually, it was, the whole idea was that she, she was quite ambitious. She wanted to film this thing on a just a digital camera, but it was like turned up. It was like a selfie before selfies were sort of around. But she was sort of filming videos but not she, the whole point was the character didn't know how to work the camera right and then she had the idea about Carrie's mum so she'd have this sort of uh, voice recorder and the, she'd play and have conversations with the mum and do like tiny little videos and put them up on youtube and stuff and they were really good really fucking funny and i remember my dad thinking right you've got to do something so she wrote a very rough script but she couldn't um, she couldn't she's useless at computers and couldn't type it up She's like, oh, Charlie, will you do this for me? I was like, oh, fine, I'll give it a go. So I just typed up, you know, sort of a few uh, themes for her, and they were so fucking funny. And um, and then I sort of, I can't really, I just gradually became more involved. And then I was like, okay, let's sit down in a room and let's let's do this together because I would love to be involved. And then we started writing more characters, and then we started writing plots, and.
0: How was it writing together? Because I, I've spoken to a lot of people that write together, and they say it's really, really difficult. And also, you're adding even more pressure because mm. your siblings write no, together. No,
1: yeah, it's it, good thing about siblings is that you can be completely honest with each other, and and, and we are <laughs> probably more than we should be. But if you know, if I said something, she's going, oh, "Shite." do something else and I'd say the same to her so that's really if you did that with a friend it's difficult yeah. because you've got to sort of tiptoe around
0: things but it's gr- obviously great with a sibling you've got a shorthand you short-hand. can just go straight yeah, to totally. it totally
1: and for me and her the best way we've ever communicated was through comedy and through humor so we always found the things same things funny even though you know even though they weren't meant to be so that was so it just clicked straight away and it was so easy and it was so much fun. And it was basically an extension of what we did in the room in London. We were just typing up
0: the things that we were saying to make each other laugh. And were you reminiscing of home when you were in London?
1: All the time. All the time. We'd, all, we'd be talking about people we went to school with. You know, what would they be having for their tea right now? What would they be watching on TV? And all those sort of things, you know. So do you think you were missing it in London? Or were you
0: subconsciously missing home?
1: Subconsciously missing it, I think. Her more so. Um, and yeah, it's sort of, yeah, I had no idea it was going to sort of have that effect later on, but, um, and then, so yeah, we wrote a really sort of rough idea for a show uh, quite quickly and then sent it to Daisy's agent who, um, sent it out to loads of production companies. So we were lucky that Daisy had an agent, so we had an in straight away because otherwise I don't know how you get, um, past that. And um, so we sent it out to loads of production companies, and they all came back fairly interested and sort of come in for a meeting. And so when you get those emails, me and Dave are like, "Fucking, hell, this is this is a big break. We'll be bloody millionaires by next year." <laughs> this is two, this was 2010. So um, yeah, we didn't realise what a rollercoaster it would be. And then. And then we went, we got National Express to London, had various meetings with different people. And that was amazing going into these offices and, you know, seeing, you know, pictures on the walls of uh, various uh, famous comedians and going, oh, my God, this is insane. And then we we picked one production company that we um, that we sort of felt that we got on with and we felt that they got the show. And that we wanted to do and um, and then we started developing the show with them for about Two three years and it was a really slow process that long Yeah, because the producer we were working with had six seven other projects and we were bottom of the list so We weren't priority and then you, we'd write a script we send it off not hear anything back for about three weeks We'd chase them nothing and then suddenly he'd come back with a list of notes and then we would do the notes, type it up again, send it off, not hear anything back. So it was such a slow process. But we were so naive because we didn't know any different, and um, I don't know. We we sort of we thought, okay, we'll stick with this. See where, we'll see what happens. But obviously, you found it
0: frustrating.
1: We did at the time, um, and because well, we weren't working, so Daisy was still going up for auditions, not getting any. And then we sort of had a, we did a shared job as cleaners in our local office block. And we were the worst cleaners of all time. <laughs> we did that for about six months. And, but it was great because we did it in the evenings and we'd talk about work and we'd talk about...
0: That sounds uh, like another show in itself. It,
1: I know, we've got to write something about it. We were, she, Daisy would use the same cloth for um, the, the kitchen tabletops as she would in the toilets. Uh, I am not joking. And we did get sacked in the end and deservedly so. LAUGHTER um, it, the, our manager that's our boss Paul Winters I, uh, he was from Birmingham he was a really sweet guy but he used to leave us these notes in the cleaning cupboard when we used to come start work in the evening saying look you haven't done this you haven't done that <laughs> and poor bloke he really sort of um, kept with us for a long time but we, you know when <laughs> this is so bad so when we used to, so for example here if we were cleaning it we'd only clean the places where you could see as you walk through the door <laughs> So it's like wherever the, like the light was hitting, and you—if the light—if you could see the right light on the table, it'd just be one swirl <laughs> on the cloth, and it was dreadful. Um, so yeah, thankfully that didn't last long. But it was good because it yeah it meant we could talk about stuff and ideas, and we did have a laugh doing it, which was great. And in those sort of situations when you haven't got money, it does—you're you're thrust together, and it would never have happened if we had money. I would have. Probably gone to do another course, at another university, somewhere else, or um, so. Not having that options was the best thing for us, and um, so it and actually we,
0: came out of having no options. Yeah, totally,
1: a hundred percent. And it came from you know boredom, frustration, you know, being so uninspired and and still fucking sharing a bed in a fucking room <laughs> at the you know in our early twenties. It was horrendous, <laughs> and um, and you know it wasn't all. We used to fight. Like, if we, when we fight, we are unbearable. We, you know,
0: our mum has to physically break us up. Um, but when you do fight as brother and sister, do you get back together quite quickly?
1: Again, yeah, because you have to.
0: Because, yeah, I mean, we can
1: be fighting and suddenly one of us will say something that the other person finds funny and then it's completely broken it breaks, forgotten yeah. about it. So that's really special. And we don't hold grudges. So we can get stuff out in the air, like, straight away. And that's really nice. And, um, Although she'll probably say that I'm a bit of a sulker, which I can be. But if she gets too personal, that is annoying. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, our poor mum had to really um, – she had her work cut out. And then – so where was I?
0: So we are still waiting to hear back. You've been sending scripts. Uh, yes. You've been waiting, like, maybe <clears> three <throat> or four weeks to hear anything back.
1: Yeah, and then we, we did a – and then I remember getting called from the producer. He said um, – I've got enough money. If you want to do a taster, shoot a taster, a few minutes. And I, was like, I was like, "This is amazing." Of course, we do. So we wrote like a couple of, uh, it was like a, one or two scenes, and we shot that in Sirencester, where we live.
0: And at that time, was this specific script at, at the stage? It was. Was it set in Siren, or would it you... was
1: very different to what this country to right. what this country is? It was. It was initially called Kerry. And it was just about, um, Curtain didn't exist, so it was about Kerry and she had a best friend called Dale who actually became a love interest. And it was, yeah, it was sort of, it was like a stupid rom-com, which was completely wrong for the show that we wanted to create. But, um, but that, again, we didn't, we have to make those mistakes to realise what's good about it. So anyway. So we how sh- was the taster? We shot, did I tell you who was in it? Michael Socker. Was it? He? he? was played part of Dale, and he came down to Siren, and um, we'd seen him in... Um, is it Being Human? Yeah. We were like, oh, we yeah. love him in that. We'd love to see if he could do it, and he was quite happy to do it, which was amazing. So he came down for like a day, shot this taster, and, um, and it was quite good. And it was very... It was sort of in the style of this country. It wasn't a mockumentary, but it was shot in that sort of very handheld, rough, raw way. And there was a lot of improv, and... um and then we had that, and then we uh, and we sent that taster to and a script to um, broadcasters. So I think ITV, Channel Four, BBC, and ITV and BBC came back and really very interested in having a meeting. And again, it was another fuck. This is it. This is amazing. This is our moment. Here we go again. This is 2012. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we had a meeting with BBC, and uh, it was meant to be with Shane Allen who ended up commissioning the series, but in this really strange um, sort of turn of events, he had buggered his knee on a bouncy castle the day before a children's party, so he couldn't be there. And things like that just changed the whole um, course of the next five years, but I'll come back to that. So we met here, so we met a guy at BBC, I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't a great meeting, I don't think he quite got it, whereas Shane would have got it completely. And then we had a night of meeting with ITV who were great and um, offered more money. And at the time, again, we were quite naive. And the producer was like, I think we should go with ITV. We are like, yeah, let's do that. And we did. And they commissioned a pilot, which was the worst experience <laughs> of my life. Um, as soon so as we- were you in the pilot at the time? No, so right. only writing, only right. writing with Daisy. So as soon as the um, pilot got commissioned, all the execs at the um, production company suddenly got interested, and they were never interested before. But now it's like, oh, okay, there's you know something could get commissioned here. So they all came in, and they just ripped it to shreds. And um, they're like, this won't work. Um, Kerry's mum was always initially going to be off screen, and uh, you could only ever you would never see her. You could only hear her.
0: That would never work. would it?
1: no, exactly. <laughs> totally. And they, and they said you, that was just yeah, ridiculous. You've got to see the mum. Um so we cast this lady as the as Carrie's mum who became this sort of horrible um sort of caricature. It was quite offensive. It was like this sort of uh, benefits cheat sort of mum and it was just there was no sort of warmth. It lost all its um originality and um yeah, it lost its warmth basically and it became this sort of horrible uh, s- Comedy—it was—it was so I can't even explain to you. It was so bad, and we felt so. Once you compromise on one thing, you ended up compromising on everything, and we learned that. And everything we were told to do went against our gut instinct, and the show completely changed. So from the taster that we really liked, it just became this. Um, it just I I'm trying to think of something similar. It was just. I don't know. And Kerry became this sort of Vicky Pollard type character that was so two dimensional. No, one dimensional? Two minute, whatever. But it was Just, really bad.
0: Just gratuitous. And yeah. Not, not awful. Right. And also, as you said, if it takes the heart and the warmth out yeah. of then you lose it and all. The execs
1: obviously thought, you know, they thought, okay, they, they I don't know. And you, you trust people. You think, okay, these people have been in the business for years. They know better. But of course, you know, they don't. And, um, we, we shot the pilot. We had a week in Sirencester where we filmed it. And I remember being behind the monitors watching. And I didn't even have a say in terms of like, you know, giving notes or I just was so totally shunned to the back. Yeah. And lost all my confidence. And Daisy, you know, I was watching Daisy in front of the camera and she just didn't know what she was doing. And, um, and that was soul destroying, especially when you were so excited and you think this is it, this is a big break. And you've worked so hard. And then the the pilot, um, yeah, it was utter disaster, and it was just. Um, and then I, I remember we submitted it to ITV, and they came back basically saying, um, you know, what, what what have you done? What is this? You know, they commissioned something that they wanted to be like the taster, mm. and it became something completely different.
0: How how did it change then? Who was who was involved in changing it so much? The execs at the production company and. Um,
1: they had a lot of American bosses as well based as an American sort of branch obviously in America and then an English branch and they had to sort of sign everything off from these American execs who obviously don't get it and one of the first things they said was the cast were too ugly the Americans and bearing in mind my sister was a lead I found that quite funny she didn't. Um, but again, and they don't—they didn't get. You know, in America, it's all about the hero. Even in you watch Friends, and they're all—you know—they're all great looking, and yeah. they've got good jobs. And you know, in British comedy is completely different. We're, we we take the piss out ourselves, yeah. and you know, it's about the tragedy in life. And um, so that was a big, a big thing. And it was, again, it's just too many people involved, too many voices, and we were so we were like frightened mice. We didn't know. We couldn't stand up for ourselves. We just went along with it and we thought, okay, if the pilot, um, you know, if it does, a series does get commissioned, perhaps we will have, you know, enough courage to have our say and try and sort of get it back to what it used to be. So after, so basically ITV, yeah, um, saw the pilot and then um, dropped it. <laughs> And then, and that was but horrendous. But
0: It's the best thing that ever happened, really. Yeah, and it
1: wasn't anything to do with I, It wasn't ITV's fault in any way. They were so willing it to be good, and they had a lot of belief in us, but they just, there was nothing there that they could see had any particular potential, and it, it didn't.
0: It was so bad. But it's so funny to think <coughs> that it was ITV. And I know it's obviously morphed into a different show yeah. to, to what it was, but to think of your show on ITV... It's completely wrong. ...doesn't, doesn't work, does no, it at all? No, totally, totally. So what was the next stage? Oh, and what did you learn from that then? Did you... We learned... Well, yeah, we, we... To trust your gut, maybe, I don't totally know. Totally trust. I mean, that's
1: the, the you know the, the thing I always say now is if it doesn't feel right, you, you have to say something. You have to question it.
0: It's so important, isn't it's it? It's so
1: important. And, you know, your instincts, you have to listen to your instincts. And um, especially Daisy, who's so creative and so in touch with, you know... That side, um, you know, for her to go against her instincts
0: is, is completely wrong. And at this moment, how were you feeling? Were you, because you, at the moment, what we've been discovering about you is you're a bit lost and we don't really yeah. know what, where, what you want to do. Did you feel that this was going to be your creative outlet yes. and this was going so to be something for I you? Yes, I
1: really enjoyed the writing to begin with and I thought, okay, this is something, because I've always been so passionate about comedy and sort of, you know, a bit of a comedy nerd. And, I was, you know, when we were in London, we used to watch everything. I used to love Hancock and and Son and Dad's Army and, and stuff like Curb and start, everything. So, yeah. And then I really got into the writing and thought, oh, this is something I really want to do. And then obviously having the experience with ITV was, and the, the pilot, yeah, it was horrendous. And then um, after we got dropped from ITV, the production company dropped us. Right, which was brilliant, but at the time it was like, "What the fuck do we do now?" Mm. And we we're on our own. And the uh, we had an, Daisy had an agent. I wasn't represented at the time. Did you feel that you'd gone back to square one? Totally, even further back because the agent was fucking useless. I won't say what they were called. It's all right, we can bleep it out. Don't worry. But, you, don't, um, no, you won't say it's <laughs> And so the agent said to us. She said to us... <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is closer, nearest I guess.
0: Thin ice, thin yeah, ice. she
1: said, um, right, so, okay, ITV have dropped it, um, production company have dropped it, and one thing you can't do is take this to the BBC because they'll be really offended that you turned them down in the first place. And we're like, what are you talking about? And... Um, You know, as soon as she said that, we're like, right, we've got to get rid of her. And it was like the night of the long knives. Everyone was just stabbing each other in the back. (laughs) (laughs) So we got a few knives in the back and then we were fucking pulling them out, shoving in other people. And uh, we, and then, um, and then we, yeah, we just basically said to our agent that we don't want to be with any anymore. She was really unsupportive throughout the whole thing. And um, so we were, you know, still in our parents' house, Back to, you know, we were worse than when we were back to square one because the show that we wanted to do that we found out had a debt that if anyone wanted to take it on, like a broadcaster, they would have to pay, it was like turnaround costs. Yeah. So we learned that we had 300 grand debt from the show, from the pilot that we shot. And it was like a show doesn't like like, you know, 300 grand to shoot this awful pilot. It was just yeah, it was horrendous. And, um, I was sort of, I was totally devastated, but, um, amazingly, Daisy was uh, really strong at that point and was like, this is not, she was like, I just know this isn't the end. We, there's something we, we got to keep going. There's still, still, we can still do this. And, um, and again, we had signed a really bad contract. So we would signed all the character rights away. Oh, and again, because we didn't know what we we're doing and the agent, was fucking useless. And, um, and it was, yeah, a nightmare. So, you know, uh, what do we do after that? We, and then Daisy had, oh, yeah. So Matt Bainton is our dad's cousin. So he's like a second, second cousin, is that? Or whatever. Yeah. And so we'd never met him, but we knew he was doing Wrong Mans at
0: the time, and that was on BBC. Do you all know who Matt Bainton is? If you've got small children, you know him from Horrible Histories. And yeah. he did a, uh, The Wrong Mans with James Corden. He's a fantastic actor. He's a very, very funny guy. Mm.
1: Lovely guy. And so we just thought, oh, God, can we, you know, email him and see if he's got any advice or anyone he knows that we could, um, you know, send it to the BBC. And he, we sent a taste and he was like, oh, yeah, of course, I can help you. Um, never met you, but <laughs> we're, we're related in a way. So, yeah, let's, um, you know, let's make it happen. And he, he got in touch with Shane, I think. What's that? What did Daisy get? Maybe Daisy got in touch with Shane first. I think Daisy got his email from Matt Bainton and went direct to Shane and said, look, I know that you um, basically just said the whole story and so uh, Shane, I know that you were aware, uh, like the taste that we did, that we submitted a couple of years ago. This is what happened. We've, you know, we've, um, it's been a bit of a disaster. Is there any way we could, you know, have a meeting or talk about doing something and then straight away, he replied saying, yeah, come in for a meeting.
0: That's brilliant that she was so honest and just oh my God, sort of yeah. said everything. No, so many s- people would just go, yeah, so this. Oh. No, yeah, she did. And she, she said, look, we've been, you know, we've, fu- we've
1: fucked up basically. Yeah. And she did send an email that she would um, stand outside his office in a karate costume <laughs> every day until he would come out and talk to her. And Shane Allen's the head of comedy at the BBC. Head is the, the big cheese. And she, we actually bought a, a karate costume from a charity shop in town, and we had it at home. And luckily, she didn't have to wear it because he replied straight away, saying, "Yeah, don't do that. Just come in for a meeting, fuck's sake." And so um, he, yeah, we went in for a meeting, explained everything that happened, explained about the show that we wanted to create. And he was like, well, brilliant. Let's, yeah, leave it with me and it's all going to be fine. And I remember it was so clearly. you know, I was walking out that day and just being like, fuck, this is, you know, from thinking you've got it all to losing it and then yeah. sort of thinking you've got it again was the most incredible feeling. And then, um, so basically me and Daisy, we got home and we were like, right, let's, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to, you know, we're going to be really strong. We're not going to get, you know, we've got to make sure that we're with the right people. And an amazing thing about Shane is he's great at putting people together, uh, knowing who's going to get on, um, you know, on a personal level and a creative level as well. And he put us with a producer called Simon Mayhew Archer. And that was, you know, the best thing he could have done. And we had a meeting with him and we just hit it off straight away. And Simon is so talented and um, so talented. And the show wouldn't be what it is without him or the director. So he basically saw the... I mean, me and Daisy find it very difficult to articulate ourselves about the show we wanted to do, and, but Simon just got it, and he knew. And there'll be a few references here and there. And he's young, he's sort of similar age to us, and that's so important. And so we started developing the show again with him, and we started from scratch. The only thing that remained was Kerry and Kerry's mum. And Simon was like, right, well, we can't set it in Siren Sister because it's too big, there's too much stuff for them to do. He was like, We've got to put it in the t- smallest shitty village we can find. And of course, <laughs> you know, it's such a simple thing, but it makes so much sense because it means there's so much more isolated and it's more suffocating. And, and we the show boredom sets the in boredom, so much quicker. Because like, there's too much to do in Sirencester. You know, it's, I don't know how, what probably like 20,000 people is. A swimming pool
0: is s- ha- just ha- hands up who's been to Sirencester? That's, that's a good, good amount of people. You know what Sirencester's like. I mean, I say there's, you know, too much to do. There's not, but. For Those characters for anyway. an afternoon, it's all right, it is. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and no offense
0: to the people of Sirencester, I go there quite a lot.
1: No, no, you can offend them, they're fucking annoying. <laughs> um, got a lot of enemies there, actually. <laughs>
0: and then, um, where was I? Um, the changes, so he couldn't, oh, yeah, Simon was saying he couldn't set it in Sirencester because of, yeah, it, it was too large. So his
1: things like, I mean, he's so good, and he, like, we'd. We worked for him for a few weeks and he just picked out all the, you know, the good things, the silly things that we loved. And and that was just amazing. It was a completely different experience because before the uh, producer at the old place would have been, no, people won't get that. It's too weird or it's too specific. And so Simon really encouraged us to be weird and to, to, you know, to go to town on the specificity of things, which me and Daisy loved doing. And then Simon, pretty quickly, oh, should I say, um, Shane commissioned a series, basically
0: straight away, straight no away, pilot. no pilot. Which we had is a couple kind of, of meet- unheard of. Everything has to jump through hoops nowadays. Yeah, and that's it, amazing. It, that
1: so lucky, that. and he has so much faith in us. From that one taste, and he could just see it straight away. And I mean, that I don't know how often that happens, but he's that's why he's so good. Not a lot, I should
0: have no. From what I know, anyway.
1: And so he commissioned a series, and then. Um, We Yeah, so we started developing it with Simon and then Simon quickly got Tom George, the director, involved because we we knew we had a year to write it until we could start filming just because Simon was doing another show. So that felt like a long time at the time. Um, But it was valuable because it meant we had time to get it right. And um, And you were constantly learning from Simon. Constantly learning. It was a
0: big creative hub, obviously. Yeah,
1: and the last five years, as hard as it was, it was our apprenticeship in a way. That we learned how to write, and we knew what we you know didn't want to do and stuff like that, so we had Tom George involved again, was an amazing visionary, got on with him straight away. Um, he's so talented, and it became a really collaborative thing between the four of us. so um, so it wasn't just you know me and Daisy creating the show, it was all four of us doing it together, and that was so important, and normally, in the show, a director will come on a month before I just was probably after you know all the roles are cast and they have no input in the script or the story so this was such a different process so yeah Tom was there from the very beginning and he um, and the great thing about four of us is that we're not we're not tied into our roles as a writer performer director producer we all separately do all those things so Simon would help with the writing the story Tom would do that as well but then, when it comes to you know shooting, me and Daisy would be directing, and so it was a really good creative collaboration.
0: When did Curtin come into it? Because we've got Kerry oh at God. the moment. Where? Shit. where did he yeah, I've
1: from? completely missed that.
0: But, I, I think I've heard about how he came in. This is but so much. I, I don't much. know if it's true or not. What do you mean about you... where the name came from? Oh yeah, is that true? Yeah right. the
1: the Big Brother thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So. Okay. Anyway, they don't want to
1: know. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so, so, okay. <laughs> sorry if you're... Re- this is like therapy. I'm so sorry. It feels like I've... I've done my job. I must be um, boring you so much, but there's just so much to say. So, is anybody bored?
0: <laughs> Thank
1: you very I much. I don't believe that. I'm <laughs> fucking bored. And- I'm not. <laughs> it's all
0: right. I've
1: only got a few more minutes. Crack on. Oh, crack. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, when we went to, back to the BBC and Shane Commission series... He said, he invited us to do a a live stand-up as, well, he invited Kerry, well, not Kerry, Daisy, to do the character Kerry for a thing called the Salford Sitcom Showcase, which they do every year uh, in Salford, at the BBC place there, and Daisy was like, yeah, I'm up for it, I'll do it, but only if Charlie does it with me. I was like, no, you've got to be kidding, I've never done anything before um other than being a tree in a nativity play in about <laughs> year five and i was fucking good actually um and so she said you have to do it with me you know we'll, we'll think of this character we sort of became a version of what the original dale which is what michael soccer played right. in the taster so it became a version of that, but without any of the love stuff because it's got in the, all the way of the comedy and then um and then we sort of knocked I thought I, I don't know why I, I just thought oh fuck it I'll just do it and we knocked together like a really brief uh, sort of 10-15 minute set and it was really bad but we did it in front of an audience and I'd never done anything and I don't know where it came from but I sort of got through it and it wasn't it didn't go down particularly well but it was again for me to be in front of an audience and doing something was amazing and it completely Did you enjoy it? I did in a weird way. And even though it didn't go particularly well, but I'd realized all again, that five years of reading the script out in the accent and doing the voice. And I was subconsciously being, it was, that was my practice of being that character. Yeah. And so it became, it came so easy to me in the end <clears throat> because I was already doing it. And it was sort of Daisy that sort of gave me a kick up the ass. and was like, right, you're in the show. So we sort of, um, so yeah, and it became Curtain and the idea Curtain had these uh, sort of Curtain hairstyle, but the name Curtain came from, um, I think we met these guys in a pub years ago. Oh no, this one guy and he was talking about his best mate Curtain. And I just, the name always <laughs> stuck with us because it's just, you can immediately imagine what he looks like. And he was like, yeah, me and my mate Curtain, right? We were so funny, right? What are we going to do? We're gonna go on Big Brother next year, but we're gonna to apply to go on as a pair because we are such a laugh together. Like on our on our own, we're not that much of a laugh, but together, we'll we'll win it. And I was just like, "Fuck, that's so good!" And you can just imagine he's got curtain hairstyles, and he's really thin. Luckily, I was so a bit of a sort of boy racer, and um, and that was the, as as soon as I heard the name, the character was like that. It was just born, and. Um, so, we, yeah, we started developing the show. We had that year. And then... Um, oh, shit, I was going to say something.
0: Um, Where were we? Curtain.
1: Developing, so oh, yeah, so... oh, yeah, so we were quite lucky because at the time, the execs at BBC were sort of job-hopping and I sort of... I never had to audition. Someone just... We sort of just said, oh, yeah, by the way, Charlie's going to be in it. And no one really batted an eyelid, even though <laughs> I was so, again, so lucky... Because, you know, you would never get, you know, in most situations, I would never get past people. And I sort of snuck in through the back door when no one was looking. <laughs> and once I was there, no one's gonna get rid of me. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I got this, it's fine. And um, so we, yeah, got um, six, I think we were commissioned four episodes to begin with, that first series. But Simon said, right, let's do, rather than do um, four 20 minute episodes, because you can't really get into it after four episodes let's do six 15-minute episodes on the same budget. And we care. so we wrote six episodes and ended up um, overshooting. So we ended up delivering six 22-minute episodes, but for the same price as four episodes, which is great because, you know...
0: I bet, I bet BBC loved you.
1: Oh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, and we got money for that as well, thank <laughs> And again, yeah, which was amazing, and it was a shoestring budget, but again, it helps because you have to be more creative with the writing. So one of the episodes, Oven Space, which actually became my favourite, was an episode we had to write. Simon was like, "There's not enough money to do um, an episode sort of around the village, so you've got to do one episode with just two characters in one room," and that's an amazing challenge. And we had so many different ideas. And I think it came together. It was the last episode we finished writing. And we were still writing it as we were shooting. And me and Daisy were like, uh, we had an idea about, uh, well, me and Daisy actually had a proper fight in the kitchen about (laughs) oven space, about pizza. Uh, It was a proper fist fight. (laughs) Like clumps of hair just being thrown around. And then after fighting, sort of like, (laughs) <laughs> wiping the blood from our cheeks we're like this is probably a very good idea for an episode <laughs> so and then it was clit and it was like, oh god we, that this should be the bottleneck episode where it's just us two in the kitchen and you know it, the whole episode is about takes the same time as it takes for a pizza to cook and we're like okay so we sort of knocked together this script in you know literally a few hours it's the quickest one we ever wrote and then um, sent. I remember sending it to Simon and he said this is great but it needs something else you can't just be that one thing of just fighting over food. So he's like, it's, you know, could we introduce an uncle character who they're waiting for from who's coming out of prison (laughs) and never turns up and we're like, Oh yeah, sort of could be funny. But then we started talking about it and yeah, it was perfect for that episode and it just, yeah. And we really, we shot that in two days and we were really finding our feet. I mean, we were finding our feet the whole time in that, um, in that series. And, um, and it was so, yeah, it was so, it was just magic. It was just so special, sort of all experiencing that thing for the first time because I think as a four, the director and producer as well, we're all quite inexperienced. But um, so it was really exciting and be, and it was so creative and we did a lot of improv and that was something that Daisy always wanted to do. She's so good at it. And we'd always make sure at the end of every scene, the camera would be left running and it was only two cameras And um, and we'd get so much good stuff from that. And um, and yeah, and that, we only had 17 days, I think, to shoot the first series, and it was we were so lucky with weather. I mean, because so most of it is shot outside, and it was just it was like the perfect storm of loads of different things,
0: and it just was magic. It just came together. Charlie, do you feel now that this is your path, and you, you've found it? No,
1: I want to do. I want to go back to finish my degree. <laughs> Sport? No, <laughs> but yeah, of course. <laughs> Everyone was shocked then, you're like, fuck,
0: <laughs> one day. <laughs> fuck, yeah, still got a back. Well, yeah, <laughs> um, geez, Charlie, there's still so much more I want to you have only just you started. Oh, this is therapy. Can we do this every week? We'll do it every week. We'll, we'll do it. Uh, my Our favourite pub, mine and Charlie's favourite pub, is the Woolpack in Slad. Does, it, does anybody know that pub? Don't find it. That's our favourite pub. You're not allowed. <laughs> it's, a, it's where Laurie Lee used to go and drink, and he's buried a, a, across the way. Uh, it's a fantastic pub. We found out that that was our favourite pub. So I'm sure we'll carry on there's our third the see sort of slumped sort of <laughs> talking
1: while he's... Um, um,
0: but, look, yeah, still, I just want to thank you so much well, for coming you. on. And congratulations for the success. Thank um, you. I know we all think it's a fantastic series, and everybody's chuffed to bits with all the awards. Um... Long may it continue, my Oh, friend. thank you. And thank you for coming today. Thank you so much for coming out. Charlie Cooper, for ladies sure. and gentlemen. And our first birthday episode is done with Charlie Cooper. How about that? It was brilliant, wasn't it? I love that. And huge thank you to Charlie um, for coming out to Bath on that very rainy evening. And thanks to the, the massive audience. Um... That came. It was brilliant. And uh, after that, we packed up and myself, producer Griff, and Charlie carried on talking. And we went for a quick pint before we went home. Um, And it was a great, great night. Now, you're thinking that's it till next week, but it's not. Stay tuned. Episode 51 with the Reverend himself, Mr. John McClaw. Is coming up for you, I think, around midday. We're going to get that out to you. So, until then, I've been Craig Parkinson. He's been producer Griff. And this has been The Birthday, the Two Shot Podcast. I'll see you in a bit. The Two Shot Podcast is presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. Our music, our brilliant music, is courtesy of Then Thickens. Cheers.